earlier in the week, we told you about Global Vote, uh, had their first online vote with the Vex. Well, actually, not their first. I guess the first was uh, in regard to uh, the other election in which the Canadian lady could have been the first lady. Uh, anyway, Simon Anhold is with us, former uh, government advisor for 15 years, man behind Global Vote, and, of course, very passionate about what is happening in his country, and Simon is with us now. Good afternoon, Simon. How are you today? Uh, hi, Scott. Uh, pretty unhappy, actually. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, you, obviously, we talked about this the other day, and I must have, uh, you know, I must admit, my thought was I, I thought they would vote to stay. Uh, what is your feeling today? Uh, it's very hard to put into words. What, what, a, what a difference a couple of days makes. Um, I feel as if I'm in a different world. Um, I feel as if the world that uh, I've grown up in is falling around. Um, it's very, very hard to know what's going to happen next. Uh, certainly the people who engineered this exit had no conception of what might happen next. I don't think they gave it a moment's thought. Uh, what is the feeling there now? Uh, are, are people happy? Are people sad? Does it depend on what side of the fence you're on? It depends on the side of the fence you're on. 51% are indulging in a kind of uh, savage war dance, um, and they are able for as long as they can continue to delude themselves that they've won what they believe they won, uh, which is some kind of freedom and some kind of, uh, um, I don't know what, they'll carry on being happy. Um, the remainder, I think, are just a little bit ahead of the curve and have realized what they've done. And how did you vote, Simon? Well, I voted to stay, of course. I, um, I'm on record of having said on more than one occasion that the European Union, at least in conception, uh, is one of the greatest experiments in the history of humanity. The wisdom and the maturity of the number of sovereign states actually getting together and ceding a tiny part of their sovereignty for the greater good. And it's worked extraordinarily well. Sure, it's an irritating bureaucracy, but it worked incredibly well. And the idea that this man Cameron might be personally responsible for the dissolution of the United Kingdom after 600 years and the greatest experiment in multilateralism in the history of humanity, hmm. all within the space of a few short days. Well, it's, it's really difficult to know what to think. How did this happen? In retrospect, how do you explain it now? Well, I think that the, um, the, the vote split down the middle was the direct consequence of this question having been put to a referendum. I think the, by holding a referendum, the government simply communicated to a lot of people who probably hadn't even thought about it before, the idea that this was a very difficult question, should we stay or should we go? The reality is that leaving the European Union is uh, not a respectable position to take. There's almost nothing to say for it. Um, it can't produce any benefits for us or for the European Union. But by enshrining that possibility in a referendum, the government communicated to people that it was a position that one could hold. And it created confusion and a split right down the middle. This is exactly the sort of thing that should never be put to a referendum because it shouldn't be judged uh, on an emotional basis. It should be judged on a technical basis. And the technical basis of membership of the European Union is something that I've struggled for 20 years to fully understand and to give uh, lots of people who've got plenty of better things to do just a, a few weeks to think about it. Well, it's, it's absurd. And, and um, pretty much the rest of the world is going to pay the price of that of that uh, selfish act. I mean, every single one of the perpetrators of this, uh, this exit vote 
did it not because they believed that it was the right thing to do or because they could even think of a good reason for Britain to exit the European Union, but simply for short-term selfish political gain. That's all it is. One uh, guy wanted to be prime minister and one guy wanted to stay prime minister. You bring up a valid point here. Uh, obviously, since the recession of, of 2008, uh, economies have been slow to recover. Uh, the middle class is, is suffering. Do you think this was a protest vote of sort? I think it turned into that, and, and you know, we're certainly not the first to observe that uh, staying or leaving the European Union became a vehicle for all manner of grudges and um, political rivalries that really had nothing to do with it. It was turned by the campaigners into uh, a nasty, narrow-minded nationalist debate. Uh, it hinged on migration, which, of course, is a, a very sensitive topic. The reality is that our membership of the European Union has got relatively little to do with migration. But the slogan that the exiters ended up with was, take back control. And, of course, that's a very powerful emotional phrase in this context, completely empty. <laughs> and uh, silly phrases like the European Union is a dictatorship and we must seek our freedom. Well, uh, a dictatorship that allows you to leave when you want to doesn't sound like much of a dictatorship to me. That's a very valid point. Uh, what do you say to those who said this has become like a federal government, that it is, it's become a centralized government, uh, and, and, and Britain was losing power? What's your response to that? Well, I think it's exaggerated, but I have some sympathy with the view, because to a certain extent, some loss of sovereignty is the whole point. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that all of us have got to wise up to and grow up to, that the age of selfish self-determining competing nations is over. The reason why the planet is in so much trouble these days, the reason why we're struggling so hard against uh, climate change and mass migration and economic turmoil and pandemics and intolerance and all of these problems is because globalization has created or exacerbated these problems to the extent that no single nation can solve them. So we have to collaborate. We have to work together. And in order to collaborate and work together, it is necessary for us to give away some part of that precious sovereignty. But sovereignty is useless if we end up being overwhelmed by global challenges. Hmm. Uh, what about the transition period? Uh, how tough will these negotiations be? Well, we're in the hands of the market. And uh, as, as, far as, the, as far as the economic performance of the, of the coming months and years goes, and that's a beast in whose hands you simply don't want to be because it's not rational, it's not predictable, and it's violent and dangerous. Um, market sentiment is going to decide our fate in the next, uh, in the next days, weeks, and months. In terms of uh, negotiating trade agreements, well, it's, it's pitifully obvious that the people uh, who, who, who strove to create this exit movement haven't really given it very much thought. Are we going to pursue the, the Canadian model? Um, which, as you very well know, is a, rather, uh, is, a, is a model that takes many, many, many years of patient and careful negotiation to bring about separate trading arrangements with separate nations. Or are we going to uh, try and imitate Norway and be slightly in and slightly out? None of these solutions really work, and certainly none of them can be switched on overnight. So whichever way we look at it, um, we're going to be facing uh, an enormous amount of uncertainty uh, for the foreseeable future. 
Uh, talk about Scotland. Where does this leave that scenario now? There's already, you know, rumors flubbing around that uh, that they're next. Ooh. Yes, What's your I, thoughts? I entirely sympathise. Um, it couldn't have been more obvious from the uh, from the distribution of the vote uh, last night that um, the Scots um, understand these things far better than the English. I'm sorry to say, and they very much wanted to stay. And as a result of them being uh, part of the United Kingdom, there obliged against their will to be, as Nicola Sturgeon said today, dragged out of the European Union, and quite understandably they're having none of it, Um, which is why I said earlier that um, on David Cameron's conscience is not merely the possible unraveling of the European Union, but almost certainly the unraveling of the United Kingdom. Why did he bring up the referendum? Was this all about getting elected? This is all about staying in power um, and keeping his backbenchers under control. There's been a there's been a, a Eurosceptic tendency in the Conservative Party for, for generations, and the the murmurs were, were getting rather loud. And um, Cameron rather ill-advisedly um, offered his bank backbenchers the prospect of a referendum if uh, if if they would leave him alone. And um, and we're now all paying the price for that little deal now. Uh, what what about uh, f- uh, finance and 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 economics in, in in England itself? I mean, we're seeing this resonate. We're, we're seeing this resonate across the world. Uh, what does the future hold uh, for the UK? Well, it's very perilous. I mean, an enormous uh, proportion of the current prosperity of the UK and the health of our economy um, is vested in the city of London as a leading financial centre. And the shockwaves are playing out in the in the city of London today. Morgan Stanley have already said that they're not going to wait um, for a formal decision on the terms of the divorce before they move their um, 2,000 personnel uh, out of the UK, um, probably to Ireland. And for sure, they're only the first of what will probably be a steady exodus of financial services firms um, out of the UK. Um, and... I think perhaps even more worrying than that are the fissures that are opening up um, in the regions and throughout the country because, of course, you must remember that more than 60% of Londoners voted to remain in the European Union. Um, and <laughs> I've even seen uh, that there's, there's a trending hashtag on Twitter today which is, um, uh, which is uh, arguing for uh, independence for London. Um, <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and that sounds... Perhaps a little far-fetched, mm. I think it's a, it's a measure of the strength of feeling that there is at the moment. And of course it's not just the Scots, the Northern Irish, Northern Ireland also voted solidly to remain in the EU. They're feeling equally sore about the whole business, but the fact that they share an island with the Republic of Ireland um, makes that enormously more complex. Um, we have the possibility of a, retur- to, of, of a return to the Troubles, sparked off by that. We have Wales, which not so uh, explicitly, but still to a remarkable degree, uh, voted to remain. And, of course, this is uh, reignited, not that it ever went out, the notion of Welsh independence. As I say, I'm, it sounds like an exaggeration, but literally the world is falling apart around us. What will this do to movement between borders? How, how will that change? Uh, another one in the long list of things that uh, people haven't thought through. Um, and in that list, we must also add... Um, defense and security and mm. intelligence. Yeah. We have absolutely no conception, as far as I'm aware, of how we're going to continue 
to collaborate productively with the intelligence services of other European countries, which in the current uh, climate of terror, as the media likes to call it, um, that's pretty worrying. Um, I would imagine, I would hope, that our security and defense forces, unlike most of the rest of the country, um, at least did some scenario planning and, um, uh, and had a backup plan in case this should happen, but it really has taken everybody by surprise. Um, so so that's, a, that's another concern. The reality of the matter is that the, the UK um, chose not to be a member of the Schengen area, which is the area within the European Union where people can move uh, without passports. And so in any case, we already had substantially uh, greater control over our borders than the majority of the um, of continental uh, Europe did. So again, it's another example of something that a lot of people thought we were fighting for, but in reality, we already had. Hmm. Another of the battle cries of the exit brigade was, we'll be, we'll be free to trade with the rest of the world, which of all the preposterous claims I've heard, that was the most preposterous, because of course we're already free to trade with the rest of the world. We've just lost our ability to trade uh, at low tariff barriers with our largest market, the European Union. Hmm. Uh, so now Cameron has resigned. What follows now politically for the United Kingdom? Well, of course, Boris Johnson um, will now move swiftly into the second phase of his master plan, which is to propose himself as the prime minister. And he very cleverly uh, published a letter just uh, um, shortly before um, the, the referendum uh, begging the prime minister to stay on in the case of an exit vote, knowing full well that if there was an exit vote, there would be no question of David Cameron staying on. But at least now he has proof um, that it was never his intention uh, to become prime minister and he can look um, suitably surprised and flattered when he's asked. When will we see another election? Well, it could, it could be this year. And what, what do you think that will be like? It'll be a bloodbath. Um, because um, the Labour Party, as, as you know, we, uh, we really only have two parties, yeah. um, uh, two, two serious parties. The third party, which was in an unhappy coalition with the Tory party during the last government, are frantically rushing around trying to mop up the um, unhappy 48% who were outvoted. But I don't suppose they'll achieve very much. The Labour Party is split in two. Um, uh, there was a vote of no confidence against uh, the leader, the new leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, because he campaigned, there's too grand a word for it, but he campaigned um, to remain in such a lackluster way. He obviously didn't mean it. Um, the Labour Party was, uh, curiously, the Conservative Party's main ally uh, in this, but they failed to pull their weight. And both of them were massively outclassed and outfunded by the Leave campaign, who had a lot of private money. There doesn't seem to be any limit to the amount of funding that one can get. Um, and uh, outmaneuvered, outlied, and outmessaged. Hmm. Uh, so what did Global Vote have to say about all of this? Well, you know, Scott, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when I woke up this morning, um, I, it felt to me as if the global vote was just a children's game. Um, boy, oh boy, it certainly puts all that in per into perspective, doesn't it, Simon? It certainly does. Um, and when I look again at the, at the results that um, we gleefully published last night before the vote started coming in, it was an 86% uh, um, majority in favor of remaining. Um, and I looked at it this morning and I thought, well, what did that achieve for us? Not a great deal. But um, I'm sure I'll get over it and I'm sure that we'll push on because I think this is important work and I think it needs to be done. Clearly the reason why we produced an 86% majority um, from our, remember, the, the people who are, who are polling on global vote 
are non-nationals. These are people from outside the UK, mm-hmm. predominantly but not exclusively from the rest of the European Union. Of course, we have um, very large numbers of people from within the EU who are interested in voting. But the the good country, which is the sort of parent movement behind this, is very popular all over the world. We had people in Asia voting, and. 86% of them were in favor of, of, of the UK uh, remaining in the European Union. This is not at all surprising. Um, it's not really statistically significant because they're a self-selecting audience. The people who come on uh, my site and who vote on the global vote are people who see the world in the same way that I do predominantly. They're people who believe in cooperation and collaboration and don't like the idea of excessive, selfish, nationalistic competition. Uh, they're people who believe, as I do, that that's... Um, driving us to perdition. So it's not at all surprising that overwhelmingly they took the same position on this as I did. Um, But there you go. Uh, It didn't do any good. Um, But then again, um, it was an early test of the platform. Uh, We weren't strong enough to have made any difference. Uh, It's a shame that such a very important vote happened so early in the life of the initiative when we were still unable to really influence the conversation. But by the time we get to the U.S. election, which is going to be in all probability just as important, if not more important. We'll be strong enough, we'll have enough voters, we'll have more voters, I hope, outside the U.S. than there are inside the U.S. It's a tall order. We need to find ourselves um, 160-odd million people who care sufficiently about the results of the, of the U.S. election uh, to want to vote on our platform. And if we get those numbers, then I think our voice will be heard. How do and you think... Sorry to interrupt, Simon. How, how do you think the rest of the EU is viewing this? Um, uh, with um, uh, horror, um, predominantly, as far as I can tell. I mean, I've received so many messages and emails um, from, from friends and family, indeed, all over the European Union. Um, we're all related to each other here. The exiters would like to deny it, but... We're part of a family in Europe. Half of my family came from Holland. Um, so many of my good friends are, are around in Europe. Like, like many British people, I, 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 I speak every day in, in French and Italian and Spanish to friends around the continent. And it feels, a friend of mine wrote to me this morning and said that he felt it was as if it was like a family breaking up. Mm. Um, it, it, was like a, it was like a divorce when you least expect it. Um, and so there, a lot of people are tremendously unhappy. Of course, we, of course the, the, there are a number of people there who would like to have the same thing in their own countries, and a lot of people have spoken about the potential domino effect. And, of course, there are calls for independence referenda uh, in the Netherlands um, and uh, in various other countries. In fact, there's hardly a country in Europe where somebody isn't now demanding a referendum. And this, I think, is the... Uh, this is the the end of a piece of wool that David Cameron found in a loved sweater, and he target it, and now the whole thing is unraveling. Simon has is with us, former government advisor for 15 years, the man behind Global Vote, giving us some inside uh, insight into what the feeling is in the UK today. Simon, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you, Scott. Bye-bye. Thank you. We'll chat again.